0: We are delighted to be here today, and I have the great joy of introducing a, a, a legendary leader. I'm going to ask a photo of him to pop up on the screens just so you can be prepared for a, a 20 years ago version of our pastor and festival director, Brian Burderson. Now, he is not just a man of God and a man of the Word of God, but he is a man who loves this country. And there are so many things I could say about him, but I'll just say the thing that I said previously. Oh, well, there, there, there's Brian Surfer, Brian. Uh, Brian is one of the kindest and most faithful men I know. He looks ever so slightly different than he did at this photo. But in celebrating our 20 years of Creation Fest, may I please welcome our festival director, Brian Oh. Uh,
1: thank you. Thank you, Sarah. You are very kind.
0: And we're, we're just leaping from ministry moment to announcement this morning. Yep. But, Brian, we, we have some news that we'd like to share with everyone about next summer, and I'm going to hand that announcement to you. Okay. Well,
1: I'll leave you to remember the details. But um, we had a trustees meeting yesterday, and we are happy to say that we will be having a festival next year and so i you know i have to tell you that we 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 kind of mentioned it throughout the week you know it, there were so many challenges so many obstacles to getting to where we are this weekend but we just had a deep conviction that god was telling us to keep just pressing in and and pressing forward and uh, you know, looking at things now and, and just seeing how that has paid off so richly in the wonderful fellowship that we've had this weekend. Uh, we're super thankful. And, and you know, honestly, we've been doing this, as I mentioned, you probably heard me say, this is our 20th Creation Fest. So mm. so we've done 20. Uh, one One of them last year was virtual. Mm. But so we've done 20 festivals. And um, I, I never wanna assume that we just keep doing the same thing all the time. So I'm always going back and just saying, Lord, what do you wanna do? And uh, so with, with this year, with COVID, I mean, there was a very real thought in my mind that maybe, uh, maybe this has run its course. Mm. And yet, as I would pray about that, I was sensing that wasn't the case. Uh, now that we've been able to be together over the weekend, And like I said, trustees met yesterday. We were unanimously excited about next year. And Sarah knows the exact
0: dates. The 29th of July through the 1st of August. And what we're looking at doing, although this could change because this has been the year that everything has is to do a four-day version of Creation Fest. You can arrive a day early, join us for six days of camping. We'll do four days of full festival. And my sister was reminding, reminding me last night that lots of festivals are four days. You can fit a lot into four days. So we are delighted to say we're going to keep some of the grassroots scaled back, slightly less full-on aspects, but still look forward to prayerfully gathering together. And this has been the year that we've all learned to say, if the Lord wills it, and actually have to mean that sentence. (laughs) So if the Lord wills it, we will see you in 2022 here.
1: Yeah. I I was just curious, how many of you like, this outside venue. Isn't this great? Yeah, I mean, the big shed is fantastic. We love it, but this has been, um, it's been a bit reminiscent of the old days when we used to be in North Devon. Um, The stage is way nicer and much bigger, but um, there's just that, I don't know, there's something about being outside that I think has been super cool, and God has blessed us I mean if I don't know if you saw the weather forecast leading into the week but it was pretty dismal and the Lord has had mercy on us and we've had great weather so so we're probably going to at least do a version of the outside event again next year.
0: And we will announce many more details. You've now heard all the ones that we know first. <laughs> There's many more details we'll share about today, but for now, we're just going to set up our message for this morning. I have the great joy of reading the scripture. I'm just going to give a little spoiler alert, because sometimes I forget. Um, At the end of the reading, because I'm a half Anglican now, I will say, this is the word of the Lord, and you will say... Excellent. A few of you carried that. The rest of you can carry it at the end. You get to say these beautiful words, thanks be to God, at the end of the reading. I'll be reading from Psalm 107 this morning, verses 1 to 22. I'll be reading from the New International Version. And I'd like to invite you to stand, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. Those he redeemed from the hand of the foe, those he gathered from the lands, from east and west, from north and south. Some wandered in desert wastelands, finding no way to a city where they could settle. and fills the hungry with good things. Some sat in darkness, in utter darkness, prisoners suffering in iron chains, because they rebelled against God's commands and despised the plans of the Most High. So he subjected them to bitter labor. They stumbled, and there was no one to help. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He brought them out of darkness, the utter darkness, and broke away their chains. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. For he breaks down gate of bronze and he cuts through bars of iron, Some became fools through their rebellious ways and suffered affliction because of their iniquities. They loathed good food and drew near the gates of death. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. He sent out his word and healed them. He rescued them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for mankind. Let them sacrifice, thank offerings, and tell of his works with songs of joy. This is the word of the Lord. And would you join me in stretching out a hand as we pray a blessing over my pastor as he speaks to us of the hope in God's word today. Father, we thank you that you are present and near to us. We thank you for this reminder of your unfailing love. I pray that Brian would be gifted to speak the words today that would remind us of the hope and the life and the love that we have found in Jesus Christ. And I pray that your spirit would be near to all who listen. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: So I preach most Sundays throughout the year. Occasionally I you know take a break. But I just want you to know that this is probably my favorite Sunday. I just absolutely love this. I, I anticipate it. And I'm so thankful to have the, the opportunity, the privilege to have, you know, been able to stand up on these Sundays over the past several years and to, to bring God's word to us. And as, as we were thinking about this, um, the theme, hope is here, and basically, you know, the theme was kind of sent out to all of us, and then it was left up to us to decide how we wanted to address that. And I just had this sense that we needed to talk about the hope that we have in God's word. And, you know, this is, a, this is a reality. This is a fact. Where God's word is believed and where it is proclaimed, where it is honored, where it is obeyed, there is life and there is flourishing. Conversely, where God's word is rejected, neglected, ignored, dismissed. There's spiritual sickness. And I I can't overstate how vital is the connection between our spiritual lives individually and collectively as the people of God, as the church of God, Um, I can't overstate how how vital the connection is to God's word, and so I just want to remind you today of the beauty of God's word, the certainty of God's word. I want us to walk away uh, inspired by the fact that God has spoken, and He's given us a reliable word and we can stake our very lives on it. And I also am hoping and praying that through this, that we leave here with a fresh commitment to being men and women of the Word of God. Now, if you have a copy of the English Bible, which I know many of you do, and of course I have one right here on this podium, you have William Tyndale to thank for that. Uh, there, there are others, but, but Tyndale was, he was really probably the, the key person that, that God used to bring us the scriptures in English, in the English language. Uh, Tyndale was a brilliant scholar And he was the first person to translate the Bible from the original languages of Hebrew and Greek into English. The Bible had been translated into English earlier, but it was translated from uh, the Latin. So Tyndale is that person, and he spent about 25 years, from, from 1510 to 1535... He spent himself laboring to bring the people of the English speaking world to bring them the Word of God in their vernacular. He was harassed, he was hunted. He was tracked down, and eventually he was arrested, and he was executed in the city of Antwerp. Some say by edict of the king, Henry VIII. Others say it was the Roman Catholic authorities who were responsible for his death. But here's what we need to know. these, him and and others like him, they so valued God's word, they were willing to give their lives for it. And so I, I think it's easy for us to take our Bibles for granted. I mean, the Bible has been so available to us and so accessible to us for so long Sometimes we don't even think of how it is that we've received it. Now, what I want us to think about is that not only did Tyndale and others give their lives to give us the word of God, we should not forget that men took their lives because they dared believe and proclaim the word of God. So it shouldn't shock us that we see rising hostility in the culture toward the Bible. That should not surprise us. Jesus said in his prayer. In John chapter 17, he, Jesus, we have the record of Jesus praying to the Father. He's praying for his followers, those then and those that would come in the future. And he said this in the prayer. He said, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. The Bible is a threat. The Bible is a threat to the worldly powers. The Bible is a threat to my own independence and self-will. And therefore the scriptures have been hated at times as Jesus said. Though the world might despise God's word the Christian rightfully puts their trust in it. For we believe what Jesus said to be true. I believe this, and I know many of you believe this as well. Jesus said this. He said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Heaven and earth will pass away. Heaven and earth will vanish. But Jesus said his word would never Pass away. So in our time together, my objective is to remind you that your hope in God's word is not in vain. And even if your belief in the Bible should cost you your reputation or personal relationships, your livelihood, your freedom, or God forbid, even your life. In the end, it will have been worth it. Charles Spurgeon, uh, the great Victorian era preacher, he said it well, he said this, he said, remember that our Bible is a blood-stained book. The blood of the martyrs, the translators, and the confessors is on the Bible. The doctrines we preach are doctrines that have been baptized in blood. And then he said this if the whole of us went to prison and to death for the preservation of a single sentence of Scripture, we should be fully satisfied in making such a sacrifice. That was the perspective of Charles Spurgeon, and I happen to agree with him. Now, the Bible claims, and it is our belief as Christians, that this book alone is God's special revelation to man. Just really briefly, theologically, we we think in terms of um, there's, there's two ways that God has revealed himself to us. We, we call one of them general revelation. General revelation comes to us through nature and things like that. Paul talks about this in the first chapter of Romans, that that which is seen, the, the created world around us testifies to the reality of the invisible God. So that's, that's general revelation. But then we have special revelation And general revelation tells us that there is a God and that this God is obviously powerful and that he is um, incredibly creative and, you know, many things like that. But it's through the special revelation that we come to know his heart. It's through the special revelation that we actually understand that this all-powerful God is also the all-loving God. And this special revelation comes to us through the Bible. And we believe as Christians that the Bible is inspired, that it is infallible, and that it is authoritative. And so let me just give quick definitions for what those things mean. When we say the Bible is inspired, it's important to, first of all, know what we're not saying. We're not saying that the Bible is inspiring. Although it is true, you can get inspired by reading the scriptures. But that's not what the inspiration of scripture means. Nor does it mean that the writers were inspired in a sense similar to, say, great poets or composers. You know, we hear certain types of music, and we, we think, oh, that, that's so inspired. But that's not what we're talking about. When we talk about inspiration in regard to Scripture, let me give you a definition. Verbal inspiration means that the writers of the Bible were controlled by the Holy Spirit in such a way that they wrote not their own thoughts, but God's thoughts, not even their own words, but God's words. The apostle Peter put it beautifully. He said, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved or carried along by the Spirit. So we often hear people say about the Bible, well, the Bible is just a bunch of opinions A bunch of outdated opinions. The Bible says the opposite about itself. It says it is not a bunch of opinions. The scripture did not originate in the hearts and minds of the writers. It originated with God himself who then breathed his word into them and through them. And so that's what inspiration is referring to. Secondly, we say that Scripture is infallible. Another word is inerrant. It simply means that there's nothing false in Scripture or there, uh, there's no error. It means that when all the facts are known, the Scriptures in their original autographs will be shown to be wholly true in everything that they affirm, whether that has to do with Doctrine or morality, or with social, physical, or life sciences. So scripture, it's, it, there's nothing false in scripture. And then thirdly and finally, it's authoritative. Authoritative means that the Bible is the final word for faith and practice among individual Christians and for the church collectively. So this is what Christians believe historically, that the Bible is inspired, that it is infallible, that it is authoritative. And we base this on what the scriptures themselves state. Paul said this in writing to Timothy, and this isn't the only place where this is stated, I just referenced Peter, there are plenty of other places where we can draw the same conclusion from, but, This passage, all scripture, is given by inspiration of God, or literally as God-breathed, and it is profitable for doctrine, which means teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the servant of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, here's what I want to do. I want to give us a few things, first of all, to, that support this claim. And then I want to show you that the Bible itself has a built-in proof for its inspiration. So this claim to inspiration. Now, other religious books claim inspiration as well. The Quran claim, the, the claim of uh, Islam is that the Quran is the inspired word of God as well. Now, of course, the Koran came much later than the Bible. And if you have read it at all, you realize that it borrowed many things from the Bible, and many of those things that it borrowed, it didn't get them exactly right. So this biblical claim to inspiration has been around from the very beginning. And... The point is this, just because there's a claim to inspiration doesn't necessarily mean that that it's true. You can claim something, but the question is, is there evidence for it? The question is, can you prove it? And so I want to argue that there are things that support the biblical claim to inspiration. They don't necessarily prove it, but they lend strong support to it. And if it was otherwise, then we wouldn't even be able to say... That the scripture is inspired but then i want to show you how the bible has the built-in evidence itself so four things really quickly arguments in support of the divine inspiration of the bible and they are going to be this the instruct uh, the indestructibility of the bible the historical accuracy of the bible the scientific veracity of the bible and finally the the unity of the Bible. And so let's look at those really, really quickly. I have just a very brief amount of time, so I'm gonna go through this super quick. The indestructibility of the Bible. Like I said, we sort of just take the Bible for granted. We, uh, you know, a friend was visiting me recently, and he walked around my home office, and he counted all of the Bibles in my office. And there were something like 30. Thirty Bibles in my office. Now, if he would have walked out of my office into my living room, he would have found more Bibles. If he would have gone upstairs to my bedroom, he would have found more Bibles. So I have this obsession with collecting Bibles. But because the Bible is so accessible, we, we don't necessarily realize that there have been many attempts in history to destroy the Bible to rid the face of the earth of its presence. And going back to Tyndale, who I referenced earlier, uh, all of the efforts to try to prevent him from translating the scriptures. There was a particular point where he had worked for years on the translation, and everything that he had worked on was stolen. And he had to go back and start all over again. So there have been uh, emperors and kings and dictators and all kinds of people throughout history that have given edicts and commands uh, to confiscate scripture, to destroy scripture. But the Bible, it still remains. And not only does the Bible remain, but I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the first quarter of the 21st century, it is still the number one selling book in the entire world. You know the Bible is the number one seller year after year after year after year after year. <laughs> that, that's in, in the States, we have uh, the New York Times. And to get a book on the New York Times bestseller list, man, that's... oh if you get a book on the New York Times bestseller list, you are something. Well, the Bible just blows the New York Times bestseller list away every single year. So the indestructibility of the Bible. But then, secondly, the historical accuracy. You know, we've all heard this, right? We've all heard people say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, the Bible's full of mistakes, and so on. But you know, the reality is it's not. And the majority of people that say that have never really taken the time to do the research themselves. They've just heard somebody else say it. Some years ago, a secular publication in the States, they said this about the historical accuracy of the Bible. After more than two centuries of facing the heaviest scientific guns that could be brought to bear, the Bible has survived (coughs) and is perhaps better for the siege, even on the critics' own terms, historical fact. Even on the critics' own terms, historical fact, the scriptures seem more acceptable now than they did when the rationalists began the attack. So the next, somebody, the next time somebody tells you that the Bible is historically inaccurate, just ask them to show you some proof. And I can tell you they won't be able to. The scientific veracity of the Bible. Now, we all know the Bible is not a book of science. Thank God it is not a book of science. but no scientific observation in the Bible contradicts known scientific evidence. Now this isn't true with other religious literature. Every other ancient religion had certain unscientific views of astronomy, medicine, hygiene, and so forth, but the Bible is absolutely free from those scientific absurdities that were and are common among other religions. And think about this, 3,500 years ago, the time of Moses, Moses made this statement. He said, the life of all flesh is in the blood. Do you know that that wasn't understood until the 17th century? There's, there's, there's nothing in history that, that we could look back on and say, oh yeah, they knew that back then and then they forgot it and then they rediscovered it in the 17th century. The life of all flesh is in the blood. 3,000 years ago, so Moses 3,500 years ago, 3,000 years ago, David said that the sun is moving in a circuit through the heavens. Astronomers discovered that fairly recently. And then 2,000 years ago in the New Testament, the apostle Paul, in writing to the church in Rome, he made this interesting statement. He spoke about how all of creation is in bondage to decay. We know that as the law of entropy or the second law of thermodynamics. So you see, the scriptures talked about these things. Now, the the fourth and final thing is the, the unity of the scripture. Now, The Bible is 66 books. How many of you have ever read the Bible all the way through? Genesis to Revelation. Okay. Isn't it fascinating as you're reading the Bible, starting in Genesis, you have approximately a 1,600-year period of time over which this is written. You have approximately 40 different authors who wrote it. They came from all different kinds of backgrounds, all different walks of life, written on three different continents. And... The amazing thing about the Bible is it's unity. It's, it, it, it becomes evident when you read it. It is one book. The, uh, the authors are not contradicting one another. <coughs> and they're talking about some of the most controversial topics imaginable. But there's a consistency all the way through. And I've come to uh, appreciate this, this unity of the Bible uh, as a strong evidence um, so much in these days because you see all of the, contra, uh, all of the diversities of opinion. How, uh, you know, if you got 10 authors together today and you said, <coughs> okay, we want you 10 authors to write on this particular topic, uh, you're not going to get a harmony. You're not going to get a unity. You're going to get a, all kinds of diverse perspectives and opinions on it. So now these four things are, they support the claim to inspiration. They don't prove it, but they support it. They lend support to this. If, if these things were not so, if the Bible was full of uh, scientific errors, then we would just say, okay, well, that, that's a problem. If it was historically inaccurate, it, w- it would be hard to really stand strong and say, no, it, it's inspired by God. But the built-in proof, God did not leave us without uh, built-in evidence. The built-in proof is predictive prophecy. For God himself, he declared that he and he alone accurately tells the future. Let me give you a quote. Isaiah 46, verses 9 through 10 for I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, things that are not yet done. This is the, uh, the challenge God is putting through the prophet Isaiah. He's putting this challenge out to the false gods, and he's saying, okay, you claim to be gods? Well, let's have a contest. You tell me the future. You tell us what's gonna happen in the future. And God sort of mocks them and says, you can't do it, but I can do it. And in the Bible, we have predictive prophecy over and over. Much of it has been fulfilled. Not all of it, but much of it has been fulfilled. There, uh, one of the interesting things is the prophecy concerning the Jewish people. You know, some people have said this, and I think there's some validity to it, that the Jewish people alone are a great argument for the existence of God. How do you explain the Jewish people if there is no God? But there's prophecies concerning the Jewish people. Jesus himself prophesied concerning the nation of Israel. And he said this. He said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, know that its desolation is near, for these are the days of vengeance That all things which are written may be fulfilled, for there will be great distress in the land, wrath upon this people, they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That was fulfilled in A.D. 30 when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and the Jews went into the diaspora and remained there until 1948. there are hundreds of prophecies concerning the Messiah. You know, that's the amazing thing. Jesus didn't just show up on the scene unannounced. His coming was predicted for centuries before. You know, 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Micah said that Bethlehem would be the birthplace of the one whose going forth would be from old, from everlasting. 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah predicted that a virgin would conceive and bear a son whose name would be called God with us. So we have hundreds of these predictive prophecies. It is mathematically impossible that these things could have been predicted and fulfilled coincidentally. I want to encourage you, study the prophecies. Learn those, those prophetic words that came concerning the coming of Jesus into the world. Show people that the coming of Jesus was predicted. That's not true of others. Now, really quickly, I, I want to I say this as well. This is more just information, but the word of God, it works in us. The word of God is living and powerful. And it it does something to us. It it is God's instrument (coughs) to transform us. Jesus, again, back in that John 17 prayer, he's praying and he says to the Father, he's the Father, sanctify them through your word. Your word is truth. Why it's so important that we take our Bibles seriously and dedicate ourselves to meditating upon them is because it's through God's word that he brings the transformation. Sanctify them. Sanctify means set apart. I like to think of sanctification as the process of becoming like Jesus. How do I become more like Jesus? Well, as I immerse myself in God's word, God's word has an impact on me and it's transforming me and making me more like Jesus. So it sanctifies me. The Bible guides and directs us. <coughs> God has not left us to figure out life ourselves. The Bible guides us, it directs us. Psalm 119 says Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Your testimonies are also my delight and my counselor. Man, I can think of so many times when I have needed direction. I just didn't know what to do. And, and God's spoken to me. I think of back during this whole COVID thing in the early days, trying to figure out how do we navigate this. God gave me clear direction from the scriptures. And he does that for us. And finally, the scriptures give us hope. We've talked a lot about hope this weekend, the scriptures give, it, give us hope. And let me, let me quote you, this is one of my favorite passages, Romans 15, four, it says, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. You know, when you read your Bible and you read about Abraham and you read about Jacob and you read about Moses, you read about Miriam, you read about Deborah, you read about David, whoever. All of those things were written to teach us how God works in people's lives and to give us the expectation that that's how God will work in our lives today as well. And so God's word works in us. And I'll close with this. I want to come back to Charles Spurgeon. And quote him once again. He said, if you wish to know God, you must know his word. If you wish to perceive his power, you must see how he works by his word. And then he said this. I hold one single sentence out of God's word to be of more certainty and of more power than all the discoveries of all the learned men of all ages. I would rather speak five words out of this book than 50,000 words of the philosophers. Spurgeon had a way of putting things really forcefully. I agree with him. So here it is, final quote. I'm going to quote Peter J. Williams from Cambridge. A brilliant scholar. He wrote a, a great little book. I highly recommend this book. I think every Christian should read this book. It, the book is, it's a small book. It's called Can You Trust the Gospels? And this is what he says at the end of his book. He says, Can you trust the Gospels? And I want to just extend it because he would do this as well. Can you trust the Bible? Can you trust the Bible? I would argue that it is rational to do so. If then, Jesus is the Word who is co-eternal with God, the one who has come to save the world, then the question of the trustworthiness of the Gospels is not a mere issue of historical interest. If the picture of Jesus in the Gospels is basically true, it logically demands that we give up possession of our lives to serve Jesus Christ who said repeatedly in every Gospel, follow me. You can stake your life on your Bible. And to spend your life immersing yourself, I've been studying the Bible for 40 years. I feel like an infant still. Seriously, that's not hyperbole. That's reality. (laughs) There's so much more. I, I mean, obviously, I know the basic stuff. I got the general picture. But... God keeps speaking to us and revealing deeper and deeper things to us as we walk with him and as we commit ourselves to his word. So put your hope in God's eternal word. You will never be disappointed. You'll never be disappointed. So, Lord, thank you for the Bible. Thank you for the way you faithfully... uh, Got it to generation after generation. Thank you, Lord, that we have the Bible in our possession. Lord, we know that there are people on the planet today that can't own a Bible, that don't have access to it. Forgive us, Lord, for our negligence <coughs> of the scriptures. And Lord, cause us to have a new not only appreciation but a new devotion to your word that your word might truly sanctify us that it might guide and direct us and that it might fill us with hope we pray in Jesus name amen amen so as we close if you need some prayer this morning you know you've been here for the weekend and i don't know what what you know maybe god's doing something in your life maybe maybe you're here and you still have never really connected with Jesus. Hey, it's your time. It's time to do that. You know, I know some people come and they come to the festival. They love it. They enjoy it. They like the atmosphere. They like the, the nice people. And that's all wonderful. And we want that. But ultimately, we want you to know the Savior.